you have your sermon outline there, you're going to need that to help you follow along in today's message on Jesus Christ as the promised prophet. My normal practice is to go to a passage of scripture, just walk us through that. We're looking at a theme, a doctrine, a teaching in the Bible that runs throughout it. And I only have one message. I'm only taking one message to really address that. And so we're going to be looking at several passages today. At uh, Jesus is the promised prophet. This subject that we're considering as prophet, priest, and king is called the three offices of Christ. And it's not something new. I didn't make it up. In fact, it goes all the way back to the 4th century in the 300s. The guy by the name of Eusebius. He's the one who kind of first recognized this teaching. That's important to see. Okay? He recognized this is what Scripture teaches. He didn't think of an idea and, boy, I'm going to make the Bible fit this idea. That's important to see. So that's been part of Christianity. I put that in quotes because even Roman Catholics recognize it. Okay, uh, It's been part of the Christian faith and Christian teaching for almost as long as the church has been there. Is a recognized thing. Um, it was especially developed in the 1500s by one of the reformers, John Calvin. And uh, he, again, did not impose this on the Bible. He saw this is what Scripture teaches. And those who teach it, prophet and priest, are understood as exactly, exactly as Scripture describes it. Uh, it had already happened in the Bible. And by, by Jesus, by the time of Jesus' birth uh, and throughout his life, he was the prophet. He served as priest in dying on the cross. And so when it comes to his being king, guys like Eusebius, Augustine, uh, Augustine, depending on how you like to pronounce his name, John Calvin, sadly, when it comes to him as king, they then jumped too far. And they said, he is the king of his kingdom, which is the church. Now, I would agree with, he is the king of his kingdom. He's just not ruling from his throne in Jerusalem, from David's throne yet. He is at the right hand of God, but he's not ruling, as it were, over his promised kingdom from heaven. That is, and, and this is something all throughout scripture that we'll look at in a few, a few weeks. But they have spiritualized the, the, the kingdom. Augustine especially did this. He says the, the, the city of God is talking about the church, and the church is the kingdom, and Jesus is king over the church. You may have heard this expression before, and this is where it comes from. Uh, Jesus defeated sin and death, and so he rules in Christians' hearts. Uh, but I'm going to speak more about that on December 25. Jesus' role as prophet we're going to look at today. This demands obedience now. This is important to see because when we look at Scripture and that Jesus is the promised coming King, that he will rule in the future over his kingdom, some could say, well, you don't believe Jesus is King. You believe you can just live on your own. And they say, no, that's what his role as prophet addresses. You must hear what he said and obey it. 
We'll see that today. His role as priest is that he provides salvation. He's our mediator. And his role as king is entirely future when he will fulfill all the promises God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, to David in 2 Samuel 7, that he will be a descendant of David, ruling on David's throne in Jerusalem. All the promises of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and several passages in Ezekiel and the, the, the minor prophets uh, that Israel will be saved. They'll have the, the, the spirit indwelling them that their sins will be forgiven. But I say all this reminding you that this threefold office of Christ, it is taught in the Bible and learning it is going to help you know your Savior better. It's going to enable you to love him more and obey him closely and gain a right response to Christ. A lot of people today, they recognize Jesus' greatness. He said a lot of good things, they say. He did a lot of good things. He's worthy of imitation. He's a good man. He was a good teacher. But they say you need to stop there. He was just a man and nothing more. No, I don't believe that. I'm telling you, that's what people say. Many people say. And so they say that Jesus made, he made tremendous contributions to improving human life. But nothing more than that. There were some things that the Bible talks about Jesus that Jesus did say, but he really didn't say them, these folks will say. Jesus' followers put these words in his mouth. They wrote that as a legend about him. And so we have to, are you ready? Demythologize the Bible. We have to go through scripture and, yeah, he didn't say that because no human being can really do that or say that. And Jesus was just a human being and nothing more. This is a very popular understanding where Jesus is brought down to what we think who he is. The last week I taught, remember, from 2 Corinthians 5.16, we cannot consider Christ according to the flesh. We must see him from God's point of view, according to the Spirit. And so you look at the top of your sheet there, we must learn this truth. Jesus is the promised prophet of the Old Testament, and he must be heard and heeded. He must be heard and heeded. We need to ask, number one, what is a prophet? So let's go in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Begin learning a little bit about what a prophet is. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Two portions I will read here. Verses 1 through 5, and then 23 to 33. Deuteronomy 5, verse 1. Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. This is referring to Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. <coughs> The Lord talked with you face to face in the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time.
to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up the mountain. Drop down to verse 23. Speaking more about that time. Verse 23. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. Who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say. And tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear it. I'll stop there for now. And just I'd encourage you to read the rest. Uh, but the Lord said that he would uh, give them the commandments, and that they would heed, um, and that they would obey him. But again, look at verse 27. You, Moses, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. So, some aspects of a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks for another. So in this case, Moses speaks for God. God spoke his word to Moses. Moses then spoke that word to Israel. And Israel had the responsibility to obey. So understand what's, being, what's happening here. God spoke gave that message to Moses. Moses then gave that to Israel. What was Israel's responsibility? Heed and obey not only what Moses said, but what God said. So a prophet here is one who speaks for another. Another aspect of a prophet is he represents God to the people. That's what Moses was doing here. He was representing God to Israel. He spoke in the name of God. He was, as it were, God's spokesman. He received a message from the Lord. How many times, if you've read your Old Testament, you read how a prophet, other prophets will say, the word of the Lord came to me. So they received the word of the Lord and then he declares to people what God said. This is what the Lord said. Or if you're used to the, the King James, thus saith the Lord. And the prophet's duty then was to reveal God's word, the word of God to the people. So here's the definition here. You're only two blanks in today's outline. A prophet was a man of God who received and declared God's message. He was a man of God who received and declared God's message. That's who he is, and that's what he does. Let's go now to Deuteronomy chapter 18, which was read earlier. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verses 18 and 19. 
I will raise up for them, the Lord is speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require of him. Moses was the standard of every future prophet. We're not going to look at it, but if you want to write down and look at Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, it talks about how he was Israel's, at that time, greatest prophet. He was the greatest Old Testament prophet. The greatest Old Testament prophet. There were a lot of them. Samuel, Elisha, Elijah. Samuel had a school of the prophets. Then there's Isaiah and Obadiah, Habakkuk and Zephaniah. There was a, a lot of them. One of my favorites, Micaiah, uh, who said, What the Lord said to me, that I will speak. And he was told to say something different. But compared to Moses, Moses was the greatest of them all. Why? What made Moses so great? Think about the truth that God gave to Israel through him. The law of Israel. The law of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. No other prophet compares in the amount of truth that the Lord gave through, through uh, Moses. If any disobeyed the law God gave through Moses to Israel, if they disobeyed it, what was to happen to someone who disobeyed God's law? They were to be literally put to death. What happened if they obeyed God's law that God gave through Moses to Israel? They would live and they would be blessed. And here we read, even though Moses was the greatest of them all, here we read, God said, I will bring a prophet, another prophet. But I want to draw your attention to something here. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, look at this, from among their brethren. He will be a human prophet. Tuck that in the back of your mind. He will come from them and be like them. And they have to obey him, verse 19. This predicted prophet somehow would exceed, even be greater than Moses. How great was Moses again? Let me give you some other things. In Deuteronomy 34.10, no other prophet was in God's presence. He saw the glory of God. I have to put saw in quotes because remember when Moses wanted to see God's glory and the Lord said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to put your face in a rock. You're going to cover your face and my glory will pass by. That, that's what Moses saw. And none other saw a glory like that. No other prophet relayed as much truth as Moses did. One other thing. No other Old Testament prophet did as many miraculous works. None. They don't come close to the miraculous works that Moses did. And so when we come to the first century, Israelites were still looking for that prophet. And they heard this religious wacko by the Jordan River who dressed very poorly, ate grasshoppers, 
And they asked, are you the prophet? This is in John 1.21. They're still looking for him. They're still looking for him. So the question then is this, number two, was Jesus the prophet? Was he the prophet? I'm going to give you several passages as we walk through this now. We will look at some of them. But the first one I'd have you write down would be John chapter 7, verse 40. When Jesus of Nazareth came on the scene, people did say, this certainly is the prophet. I'd like you to turn with me now to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This is after Jesus was crucified, after he rose from the dead. There were two men walking to a village of, called Emmaus, walking along, and Jesus unknowingly came up to them. They didn't recognize him. And Jesus asks in verse 17, what kind of conversation is it that you are having one with another as you walk and are sad? And they're amazed. They're like, where have you been? Don't you know what's been going on? Jesus asked, what things? Look at verse 19. And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. That helps us see three important things about Jesus here as the prophet. The first that helps us see this is who he was, his person. Number one, he was a prophet. He revealed God as no other prophet had. Write down John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And also write down John 1.14. The Word became flesh. Do you remember what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18 about that prophet? He would come from, among, from your midst, from among your brethren. The Word was made flesh. He was glory of God incarnate. Write down Hebrews 1 in verse 3. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says of him, of Jesus, he's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the promised prophet. He was God in the flesh. How do you know that? Remember Matthew 1? Matthew 1 verse 23. You shall call his name Jesus. They will call him Emmanuel, and what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That reminds us of what God promised through Moses in Deuteronomy 18. One will come from your midst, from among your brethren. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus' person, who he is, lines right up. Number two, Jesus' actions, what he did. He's a prophet, mighty indeed. Now, let's talk about miracles briefly. In human history, God would occasionally 
do a miracle, something supernatural that did not occur in, 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 in normal human life that was impossible for a human being to do, such as turning the, the water in Egypt to blood, causing frogs to so cover the land and then cause all those frogs to die. You gotta wonder. Boy, that must have stunk. In fact, it did, it did say it really did stink. So many miracles like that. And we can see these miracles. We read about them. Elisha and Elijah doing great miracles. Um, we read about those and we think, miracles happen all the time. No, they didn't. They happened with Moses over the course of just a couple years, if not months. They happened a, a few times with Elijah and Elisha hundreds of years later. One or two other small ones. Joshua, remember, was fighting. Lord, cause the sun to stop so that we can finish the battle, and it did. Or Hezekiah, causing the sun to go backwards. Or was it Ahaz? I can't remember which one it was. And then, so those are just a few times in the Old Testament. And we read the Old, the New Testament, and we see, we see lots of miracles happening all the time. No, it didn't. It was just a few times. God would occasionally do mighty works through these prophets, these miracles. They would be his stamp of approval of them, on those prophets. What this man is saying is from me. It wasn't about the miracle. It was about the message. It wasn't about the miraculous sign. It was about the truth that's being given. And so, what kind of miracles did Jesus do? Write down Matthew 8 and 9. Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Just look at the miracles did Jesus did just in those two chapters. He cleansed lepers. He healed the sick. He calmed the storm. He cast out demons. He caused the lame to walk. He raised the dead. He made the blind to see. Made somebody who couldn't speak able to speak. And that's just in two chapters. But the pinnacle... The highest, the greatest miracle Jesus did is when he raised himself from the dead. Now that's a miracle, isn't it? Jesus said in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was people's responses to what Jesus did? Go with me now to Gospel of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus had fed thousands of people here. John chapter 6. There was food left over. John chapter 6, verse 13. I'm sorry, let's start in verse 12. John chapter 6, verse 12. So when everybody was filled, I mean, they had more than enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So he started with five loaves and there's twelve baskets left over. What was people's response? Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus' person, who he is, 
his works, what he did. Number three, Jesus' message, what he said, a prophet mighty in word, in deed and word. Boy, how much time do we have to talk about the thing Jesus said? We have to start with John 14, 6. Don't turn there. But John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth. Go with me back up a bit to John chapter 1. An important passage I want you to see. Help us see the truth that came through Jesus. I put this in the front of your bulletin today. Helping us see the distinction between him and Moses. Moses was a great prophet, but there is in Jesus a greater prophet. John 1, in verse 17. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus, John 12, 49-50, he brought the Father's message. I speak to you what has been said by the Father. He declared that message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 24 and 25, in the Olivet Discourse, he predicted what will happen in the future. On the latest, the greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, remember what he said, if any is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of him shall flow waters of living, streams of living water. And people who heard that, John chapter 7, verse 40, surely this is the prophet. Number four, how is Jesus superior to Moses? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. The book of Hebrews more than likely is a book I'll be preaching from after uh, Ecclesiastes, tells us about the superiority of Jesus Christ. And here, in this section, Hebrews 3, it shows the superiority of Jesus Christ to Moses. Let's just look at the first six verses. Hebrews 3, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, speaking of Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. How is Jesus, as the prophet, superior to Moses, the greatest Old Testament prophet? Let's make a little chart. Jesus on one hand, Moses on the other. Jesus... He was the builder and the owner of the house. What was Moses' position in the house? He's a servant, this passage tells us. Which is greater, the builder and the owner or the servant? The builder and the owner. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. What's the best that Matthew could say? He, or Moses could say he 
saw God. How did he see God? His back turned, his eyes closed. It says in John 1 that Jesus sees, knows, because he is God, the glory of God. Another thing, Jesus is the Word. He is the Word. Moses, he merely relays the Word. Remember, that's what a prophet does. And that's what Jesus did. But he's the Word eternal. Jesus did the Father's works. Everything that Jesus did was exactly the Father's work because they're one in person, different per, one, in, one in, in being, different persons, one in being. So everything Jesus did was the Father's work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Moses occasionally, only on a couple times, did miraculous work. But the greatest distinction between Jesus and Moses is this. Jesus lives. And he lives forever. What about Moses? He died. Last chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34, he died. He would, his body was buried and he's still dead and buried. Which is the greater prophet? Christ is. Jesus is. So number three, how must you respond to Jesus the prophet? Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. For the first way that you must respond. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. This is God's will for everyone. Yes, for Christians, but especially but for everyone. Christians and non-Christians. Hear this. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Now he is here contrasting God speaking through Moses. Remember what happened if you disobeyed the Mosaic law? You would die. He is contrasting him with Jesus Christ here. Jesus declared truth. Believe in me and you will live. If you don't believe that, you will die. John 3.36. Let me give you several things from the Gospel of John here. Just quickly, I'll give you the passage and then what's said. John 3.36. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. John 4.14. 14. I give water that quenches thirst. John 6.35, I'm the bread of life. John 8.12, I'm the light of the world. John 8.58, before Abraham was, who lived over thousands of years before Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. John 10.9, I am the door. John 10.11, I'm the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 30, I am God. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John 15, 1, I'll stop with this one. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. If you deny, if you won't obey, if you don't believe, trustingly, submissively, lovingly, everything that Jesus says about himself, 
in a spirit of defiance, you will not escape his judgment. Don't refuse he who is speaking. How else must you respond? Number two, you can believe and trust in everything Jesus said. John 5, 46. If you believe Moses, you believe me, for he wrote about me. Do you remember from John 1, 17? What came through Moses? Do you remember? The law. What came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. Folks, that is good news. The law is not good news. Law is good, but it can't save. What's the law good for? Establishing God's standard of righteousness and finding if you've fallen short of it. That's all it can do. But what comes through Jesus? Grace and truth. Believe in me and you have eternal life. Through, God's, through Jesus' promises and word, he gives comfort, Christian. He gives encouragement. He gives strength and hope and sorrow and disappointment. Again, I can only give you a couple examples of this. I'll write down John 14, verses 1 to 2. John 14, 1 to 2. For Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Let not your heart be troubled. Isn't that a word of grace from the great prophet? Another one. John chapter 14, verse 27. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Jesus gives a peace that surpasses your comprehension. It guards your heart and mind. Though everything is falling apart in your life, when you're resting in Christ, the great prophet, you have peace in your heart. Another one, Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always. I am with you always. And you might wonder, how could Jesus of Nazareth, a man, yeah, the God-man, but how could he always be with every believer? Well, you'll just have to come to this afternoon's message to learn about the hypostatic union for, the, uh, for some information about that. One last passage along this line, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul had a, a terrible physical ailment. It hurt bad, and he prayed. Now, there's a lesson. Did God occasionally, through Paul, do miracles? He sure did. And here's Paul suffering from this physical ailment. And he couldn't heal himself just willy-nilly whenever he wanted the point of miracles was not for that. And so what did Paul do? He prayed. He prayed, 
three times. Lord, take this away from you. And how did Jesus respond? There's the thing there, praying to Jesus because he's God. What did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness as you're trusting me. And so Paul said, I glory in weaknesses then. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's not for me. It's because of Christ who strengthens me. Number three, you must pattern the character of your life after Jesus. This is a third response you must have. 1 John 2, 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Young person, have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted Christ, young person? If you're five or ten, 15 you need to pattern your life the character of your life just like after Jesus did how did Jesus respond to his earthly parents we'll look at that this afternoon as well but we read how he submitted himself to his parents in every way he obeyed his earthly parents you need to do that too kids was Jesus patient? Think about the disciples he had. Was Jesus patient with those knuckleheads? He sure was. Was he loving? Yeah. Was he forgiving? Yeah. Brother and sister in Christ, you, you need to be patient like your Savior is. You need to be loving. And you need to be forgiving as he is. You must pattern the character of your life after Jesus. Jesus was devoted to doing God's will. What is God's will for your life? It's in the scriptures. For any and every circumstance. Are you devoted to knowing and doing God's will in any and every circumstance of your life now? Make it your prayer. Just as Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Make it your prayer to say, Lord, may my food be to know and to do your will. I could keep going on so many different things about how to pattern our lives after Jesus. But remember, he was a man of prayer. He devoted time to prayer in the busyness of his life. He didn't have all the modern conveniences we did, we have. I mean, you, I've used this as an example. If we want a, a, a drink of water, what do we do? We go to the tap. We put our glass in front of the, uh, if you have that kind of a refrigerator, you can just push it there. You get a bottle of water, just drink it. Boy, we have really got it easy. How did they get their water then? They had to go down to a stream or a lake or something like that. They had to prepare it, make it safe. And yet, through all these inconveniences that Jesus had, he devoted much time to prayer. We must do the same. Jesus is not merely a person of history that you can study, admire, and pick some things out of his life that you want to try to imitate. You must hear him. You must heed him. Let's pray.